Welcome to the School Business Leadership Podcast and today I have another Summer of CPD episode for you. Following on from my chat with Ali about social media marketing, I chat to Becky and Jeff about how to use your website to market your school, plus what you need to do to make sure that your website is compliant. We talk about how you can make your website work for you, including design, clear navigation, using images to attract and keep people's attention, where to put key information, and how your website can literally be the window into your school, especially if people can't physically come into it right now. Yes, you're going to need your pad and pen again. Let's dive in. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Becky Hall and Jeff Eden. Becky is the head of marketing at SBS, focusing on connecting school business leaders with first-rate systems, products, services, and partners to effectively manage the business elements of schools. She gets a real sense of achievement knowing the work she and education providers do ultimately ensure top outcomes for pupils. She's passionate about how schools can use marketing to improve communications and opportunities for schools. Jeff is the senior account manager at SBS. He has worked in education since 2003 as a secondary school teacher, so he understands and has experienced the challenges school space, both teachers and support staff alike. Since joining SBS in 2014, his roles have involved helping schools improve, overcome problems, and use systems effectively, particularly around finance, budgeting, business, and accounting. He is now a senior account manager responsible for keeping customers as happy as possible. Becky and Jeff are joining me today to talk about using your website to market your school and website compliance. Welcome, Becky and Jeff. Hi there. Hi. So this is the summer of CPD. You are super experienced over at SBS with all manner of issues that SBLs face. Why have you picked these topics? Um, so we've picked websites today from a marketing and a compliance point of view because um, it's something that often gets forgotten just to make your to-do list a little bit longer. But mm. what we've discovered from our respective roles, um, myself working as a finance consultant, particularly with internal scrutiny, is that the website aspect can feed into compliance. Um, and Bex, working with customers from a marketing background, she's visited a lot of school websites in her time. So together, we've kind of pulled our observations into some tips, and we we hope this helps you make better use of your website. Yeah, marketing is one of those things, isn't it, that if you don't know where you're up to with it, it's because you feel like you're you know climbing an uphill battle. So yeah, let's get started. Where are we going first, Bex? Okay, uh, so without stating the obvious, just need to make sure that you're clear about what your website is trying to do. Lots of schools have a website just because they know they have to, but does it really have a proper purpose? So mm. what we're going to talk about is not going to be technical, not going to tell you how to build your website or what platforms you should use. It's really just an overview of how you can improve what you've already got. So the thing with websites is when you position it against social media, it's a very different animal now, isn't it? Because social media is live, up to the minute, immediate. The purpose of websites has shifted over time, hasn't it? Absolutely. And you can consider that actually your website is static because it's certain pieces of information, but you've actually got an opportunity to keep putting content onto your website to keep people coming back to, to look at your school. And I suppose it's not just parents as well, is it? There's other people that may be interested in what's going on. I'm thinking of maybe prospective staff. Indeed, yep. Um, definitely looking at prospective staff or new admissions, but also for your pupils. 
Uh, it's an opportunity for you to highlight your school or your trust's values, mission and vision, and make sure that that's communicated throughout the site. But also Ofsted, we can't forget Ofsted. So making life no. <laughs> them is really important. And Jeff will come on to that a bit more, but keeping key information in one place for them to find is really going to help you. It's also important when you're putting information on there that is kind of designed for Ofsted, but make sure that it's not just the requirements that they've asked for. Think about how you've taken it further and evidence the work that you've done that underpins those policies and documents. Perhaps you you state that you're working closely with communities. So show what those community groups are and how that feeds into your school's values. It's almost like a website has become a storefront, isn't it, in terms of a window into what it's like to be in that school and what happens in that school. Yeah, a window into your school, of course. And one thing that you could use that would really help with this is having blogs on your site. Uh, Traditionally, schools would have a a regular newsletter that they put on the site as a PDF, which is downloaded. And that's absolutely fine. But again, that's looking at information in a static way. If you have a blog, you can be putting out news really, really quickly. You can be talking about class activities, events and trips, joiners and leavers. You can put posts on about well-being, competitions, news, and all of those can go out really, really quickly. And it also makes the site searchable as well, which will help help your, um, your rankings. And if you wanted to, you can still combine all of that into a traditional newsletter. Yeah, I suppose it's making your website work for you in different ways. Like you say, it'd be easy just to throw together a PDF and have it as a download, but actually it's making the information more accessible and the website more attractive, isn't it, in terms of design and branding? Absolutely. Yeah, design and branding is so important. Over 90% of first impressions of a website are design-related. So it's really important that your school branding and colours feed across the site, make sure that you've got a logo on every single page so that's consistent. Also think about your fonts. You may have a a particular font that you use for your school, so make sure that's used on your site. But also don't use too many. I have seen some sites where they have multiple fonts on a single page, Mm. and it's just a bit of an information overload. So keep it simple, keep it consistent. And one thing you also have to think about with, with your design and your branding is that lots of schools that are in a similar area might have used the same Um, website provider so they'll have an identical template so how do you use that branding and and that consistency to make sure that you stand out from everybody else so one of the ways that you could do that is is making sure that your images are specific to you Uh, what's really helpful is not to use clip art or stock images because it's quite obvious that they are and and it can be tempting as a primary school to to use very similar images to everybody else but again you you won't stand out from any of the other websites so if you're using your images try to make sure that you're using things like facial expressions because that will draw the visitor in looking at faces and use it if you do have to say hot chocolate fridays that's lovely images to have on your site it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to the actual page that you're on when you're using those images, make sure they're really small. Uh, websites have to load quite quite a lot of content, so you don't want to slow your pages down for loading. So what you need to do is, if you have photo editing software, save the image at 72 dpi. Mm. That means that it will keep your site running quickly. Goes without saying, make sure that you've got permission from students. But a little tip for you, you could hire a professional photographer, not necessarily the same person that does your uh, portrait photos, 
but get somebody in, get them in for a day, take lots of photos around the school and perhaps ask the local college if there's anybody studying photography that might want to come in and do that as a project. See, photos are so powerful. You know, you can get an immediate impression and vibe of a school just by looking at some pictures, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I remember doing that, actually, in a school I worked at. We had a photographer come in and we talked about these are the classes that are on today. These are the kind of shots we want to see in the library, you know, in the practical classes, not just, you know, children sat together in a group, you know, round a table, something a bit more active. <laughs> Thinking about what you want to portray in those pictures is really important. Exactly. I've seen lots of uh, school websites where you have a, a head teacher surrounded by pupils all looking intently at the same piece of work. And that never happens. That's not real. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about branding and images and creating impressions. I'm supposing ease of use is also important, isn't it? You don't want people to have to sift through a lot of data or, you know, click through five or six links just to find what it is they're looking for. How important is that in the setup stage? Yeah, it's it's absolutely critical. And what you need to do is concentrate on your navigation for that. So work out the structure of your website and where everything naturally sits. But as you say, with as few clicks as possible to get somewhere. So making sure that you've got a navigation bar or a menu on every page um, so that people can browse through the site. Uh, but one other thing that you need to think about when you're building this structure is to make sure it's responsive. Um, so that is making sure that it works on different devices especially if you think about mobile phones, the number of times a parent could be at the school gate trying to find a piece of information. So they need Mm. to be able to go on their phones and jump in and be able to find it really quickly. So another element to that is making it accessible. And what that means is uh, any people that are visiting the website that might have disabilities or impairments. So there's lots of widgets out there that will help you adjust the settings or how text is displayed on the site. And your website provider will be able to help with this or if you already have a good content management system. So, again, it's making it easy to use and easy to find information, isn't it? Because if someone's coming to your website, it's very rare that they're going to come with no purpose at all. They're going to be like, I want to know the term dates or I want to know who's in charge of this or I want Mm. to know Mm. what the last Ofsted report said or something like that. So it's about, you know, making sure that if they are looking for something, they can find it. And then chances are they'll stay and look up other things because it's easy. Absolutely. And something else that will help with that is making sure that you've got a search tool. So quite often I'll go to a website and there is no search bar to be able to find things. And if somebody doesn't know what they're looking for or they don't know what it's called or they don't know where it should sit naturally within your site, if you don't have a search tool, they're never going to be able to find it. Yeah. And they're just going to get frustrated and then someone's going to phone and they're going to be annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And by having your website working for you, you're going to be able to cut down on those phone calls. So reducing the telephone traffic would be a huge benefit to the office when it's probably, it's on the website. It's okay saying that, but if they can't find it, it's useless. <laughs> well, it's like one of the questions people get asked is, when is? Yes. So having a calendar that has actual information in it is really, really important. And it is really tempting just to put it in, set it and forget it. But it's a really powerful tool because it was another way to get people to come back to the site. And there's lots of different things that you could put in there. If As you're publishing any of your updates or newsletters or a parent email, if you think that you're putting a date in it, put it straight in your calendar. And this, as I said, there's so many things you could be talking about deadlines or term dates and inset dates charity and fundraising days, clubs and sports fixtures, parents' evenings. It's just endless. 
a phrase that I've heard, and you're probably more familiar with it than me, is about making the website sticky. And especially now in the digital age where, you know, like I so said, we don't send paper newsletters, it's going to be digital. But rather than just having a static PDF, having links within that so they can go to different pages. So, you know, if you want to find out where the term dates are, click here and it takes you to another page on the website. Mm. They might have other useful links. So everything's knitted together rather than just being in a silo. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And one other thing that uh, people quite often are looking for is your social platforms. And yes. I think social media is almost, although it's probably more immediate um, for people to put things out, you, but you should be spending as much time on your website as you are on your social channels. And unless the, the two are working synchronized, then they're just not going to work for you. Yeah, it's important it works together because you assume sometimes if you post on social media that everybody sees it, but obviously timelines and feeds move on. So you may have hit some people, but not everybody or people might have missed it. Whereas at least if they check the website, they know it's going to be there and it's not disappeared beyond, you know, another fog of tweets or another set of Instagram posts, for example. Yeah, that's really powerful, actually, if you think about the amount of information that schools do need to get out and and people absorb information in different ways. So, yeah, thinking again that your website is static, whereas your social media platforms are always moving and are less searchable. But that doesn't mean that your content on the website has to stay static. Yes. And it's more reliable in terms of being able to find things. Like you say, you can't really search Twitter easily. You're scrolling through posts, aren't you? Looking for what you think is relevant, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's things like calendar dates and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In terms of the website, we've talked about the front end in terms of what it should look like and what it should have on it. Are there any other tips in terms of, you know, behind the scenes or anything that parents might be concerned about that we could address? So one thing for sure, obviously, we know how rife cyber attacks are these days and schools are becoming more and more targets every day. There's there's stories every day of schools that are being attacked. So one of the ways that you can help to prevent malicious attacks on your website is to apply an SSL certificate. This will also show your parents that your site is secure, so they'll be quite happy to to come in um, and spend a lot of time browsing around the site. Now, if you've got a a website provider, they should have already done this for you. Uh, If not, you can speak to them. But uh, it's just a quick check that you can look for yourself. So if you go to the left-hand corner of the address bar, the web address will have uh, be either HTTPS rather than HTTP. But next to it, there'll be a padlock icon. You can't miss it. Um, and But if it's not there and your uh, site address is still HTTP, you do need to speak to your website provider about getting that sorted. And as well, if you have compartmentalised areas of your website in terms of logins or links into other systems, it's also good to have that additional security, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. And another area of it that's that's really important is to make sure that you've got control of your site. So Mm. although you could be working with a website provider, you still need to be able to make those changes regularly and quickly as you need to get information out, but also to control what that information looks like. So a really good tip would be to delegate the management to one or two key members of staff and make them your website ambassadors and they can keep coming back and making changes quickly. So perhaps you'll have some people that are more curriculum based and some others that are more administrative based, but then you can cover everything and making sure that the content stays fresh. Um, And also what's important is to think of making sure that you take out anything that's out of date so make sure yeah. all the links are still active or anything that's old, because it's really easy to website to become out of control and have really, really old information on there. And that creates 
the wrong impression, doesn't it? it? It's nothing worse than going to a website and thinking that's not been updated for ages. And mm. then you automatically lose confidence with what you're seeing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And we do see that because the website is often forgotten about and school business leaders have so much to do already. It's just another thing. So it's it's hard to dedicate that time to a website, but it absolutely will pay dividends for you because you're just going to get people coming back to the website. And as we mentioned before, it's going to help with new admissions and getting new staff in. So it is worth the investment. In terms of, we mentioned before, Ofsted, you know, and being able to access your website and parents, how can you make it easy for people to find you? I mean, there are lots of schools with very similar names. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, when I when I look for schools, especially if they start with a saint, I think St Mary's is have, there are more St Mary's schools in the country than anything else. So unless you put the the locality or or the, the yeah the local authority in of that school, you could have hundreds of listings. Really, you could. Um, so for you to to have a check and see where your website appears without having to put that geographical information. Put your school name into Google. And a good tip as well is if you're using Chrome, to go to the top right-hand side and put yourself into incognito mode. Now, the reason I say that is if you're on your school site, Google will remember the sites that you've been to. So if you put in your school name, it will automatically put your school at the top of the results. But you don't want to do that. You want to take that that um, specificity out of it. So go into on incognito mode and search for your school name and see what comes up. Um, not only can you benchmark yourself against perhaps other schools or schools with the other name, the same names, but you could also look at how can I make my website appear for the right people that are looking for you. So again, coming back to that, thinking about the audience, thinking about parents and Ofsted and teachers, how am I going to attract the right people to my school rather than somebody else's school? How do you think websites and the, the role of websites has changed, especially with, you know, what's happened the last 12 to 18 months? You know, there's a lot of online meetings going on and events and probably not as many parents in terms of parents evenings and open evenings. You know, what can we do to make our schools still feel accessible and be able to bring them in even if we can't physically do it at times mm, that's a really great question especially with everything that's happened whereas people could just uh, visit a school and see get a feel for it and having to do that digitally now and that's really difficult so some of the websites that are found over over this year have had some really really interesting ideas that have, that have really stuck with me so i'm just going to list some of the ideas of things that i found that I, I personally liked but there's lots of other examples out there so the drone videos of the facilities so people have actually used that technology to fly a drone all the way around the school pinpointing wow. in on special areas which which is great although it did make you feel a bit seasick um, or similarly a 360 uh, virtual tour um, so again using technology to be able to show different parts of the school in real time similarly because it's more difficult to have one-on-one -on -one, uh, touch points with people and, and make that kind of human connection rather than just having a pdf of a prospectus people are recording videos not just the head teacher lots of different people within the school are recording what it's like to 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 attend and work at that school and that can also feed into testimonials or feedback from pupils which is a really nice idea um and not just pupils as well parents and teachers can talk about why they love your school uh some of the other things i've seen is obviously for me anything that's animal orientated a um, mm -hmm. particular favorite as, as a, a family of goats um, or anywhere where there's a, a bee-friendly area for, for children to have, have wildflowers. 
Um, and one other one which is really key but can be really fun is having class pages so that teachers can upload different learning materials or games that, that children can get involved with once they finish their learning. I like what you said about involving the teachers more though and doing videos. You know, it'd be really powerful, wouldn't it? You know, if you've got the head of year seven talking to prospective new students, you know, this is what it's like. This is this is me. This is what it'd be like coming to the school. This is what it looks like in terms of your form rooms, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really allowing people to get a feel for what your school is really like. Because in some respects, schools are all trying to deliver one thing, but every school is individual and every school has a different way of working and um, their values. And every child learns differently. So matching up pupils and parents and teachers with the right school is absolutely critical. And like I say, this is the, the shop front. You know, you've got the website, you've got social media, it will be prospective parents it might even be pupils that are looking at you it could be new staff you know all of these important people that are using all of this resource to get an impression of your school and to make that decision do I want to go there do I want to work there what is it like Mm -hmm. so yeah making a conscious strategy there's another podcast coming out as well as part of the summer of CPD series which is all about social media so I think that complements it really well and maybe looking at a wider strategy that not necessarily school business leaders have to lead or, you know, do themselves, but maybe oversee with a member of their team. Mm. I look forward to that one. Now, we've talked a lot about the nice stuff to do with websites, but fundamentally, there are some issues that we have to address on our website that are compliance related. And I know that can give SBLs a big headache in terms of, are they compliant? What do they need? You know, things change quite a lot. I know there's a lot that goes into it. So, Jeff, you're going to talk to us a bit about that, aren't you? I am. Yep. I can talk to you about website compliance. Yep. Okay. So where are we going to start? So just a little overview, really. Um, there are a plethora of requirements, um, as you would expect, with anything mm. in schools, um, set out by the government for, for what you guys need to publish on, on your school websites. Some of it's straightforward. Some of it can be a little bit tricky or complex. For example, you must publish the name of your Senko and their details but not if you're a special school or sixth form or you're an FE institution. So it's, um, you know, it's just a case of wading through and trying to sift out um, what you do and you don't need to do. Um, but what we have done is we've produced a little checklist which could help, which I'll talk um, about later. So I suppose the website compliance side is aimed at all of your stakeholders that might visit your site. So it's, you know, some of them are aimed at parents definitely prospective parents, staff and prospective staff, as we've already alluded to, Ofsted, um, but also the wider community and and students, so that all those stakeholders can go onto um, the website and find the information they need in a transparent and a readily available way. So the information that's required depends on what kind of school you are. So it depends on whether you're a maintained school or an academy, whether you're uh, a sixth form or a further education institution. And it can also depend on whether you're a primary, secondary, or if you have a, a key stage five element at your school. In addition, if you're a maintained school, there are also different rules um, if you're voluntary aided or, or voluntary controlled, or if you're a community school or foundation school. So it, it can get quite complicated. But a good place to start is on the gov.uk website. And there's um, there's a handy list of things that they've um, that they've said is required for maintained schools add a separate list if you're an academy or a free school. It's a good idea to start here and um, categorise clearly in your mind what school you are before you start looking through the guidance. 
because then you can just simply sift out and ignore um, the stuff that's not relevant to your school. Mm. So to start with, that can be quite intimidating. And we our checklist, for example, contains 24 sections of things that wow. you want to have on your website, depending on what kind of school you are. But the good news is that much of it is, is a no-brainer. So your school name, your head teacher's name, the school's address, your exam results, your, your most recent Ofsted report, some of your policies, you, you're going to want to publish those things anyway. Um, there are some requirements, though, that, that change each year and require regular updates made to them. So in my mind, there's kind of four categories of info that you need to think about. One is the static info. So, you know, the, the long finger info that's not going to change your school name, your address, to some extent, your curriculum and, and your values and your ethos. The second area is the non-static info. So things that might change um, fairly regularly, such as your governor's info and to some extent your, your Ofsted report. Then there's the information that will change annually. So your exam results, um, links to performance tables, um, reports on how you will or how you have spent your pupil premium, your year seven catch-up premium, your PE sport premium, things like that. Um, your annual accounts if you're an academy. Um, and your admissions arrangements. And then finally, there's your policies which you need to, um, which you're required to publish. So uh, your behaviour policy, equality objectives, your send policy, complaint procedures. Um, and these things, unfortunately, are required to be updated annually. In terms of all this information, there's a lot there. And, you know, when we were talking about the marketing side, like we said, it doesn't have to be the school business leader that does all of this necessarily. Obviously, they'll drive it. I think this is similar here, isn't it? It's a lot of the elements that you've said that SBLs will be involved in. But actually, I, I see more of a coordination role in terms of putting names next to some of these things and asking for that information. I would agree. Uh, definitely a good idea to delegate some of these requirements out because some people in your school are going to be more specialised at, at writing the policy or producing the information that's required to be published. Um, so for an example, as an academy, or a trust rather with more than 250 employees, you've got to publish your, your gender pay gap information. And it's not necessarily yeah. the school business leader that's going to, going to do that. It might be your, your HR manager. So delegation is a good idea for sure. And alerting people that that is the expectation, because like you say, that person might not realise that that falls under their remit or responsibility. I think we're all quite okay, aren't we, with health and safety compliance and financial compliance, but website compliance is a bit of a different animal, isn't it? And it can catch people out. It can. It's easy to forget things. Um, a good tip would be to work with a website designer or a company who knows um, these requirements, because this will naturally feed into your site and that will you know, get them doing some of the hard work for you. So tell them tell you what you need to publish. You can go away and just gather the information and they publish it for you. Um, and really, that should feed into the way that your your website is structured. So you'll, you will know that a lot of a lot of school websites have a key information section where a lot of this information is just published in one section, so it's it's readily available. Do you find there are more or a common set of areas that are missed more than others in your kind of work that you do with schools? Yeah, so I wanted to give three or four sections a special mention. So safeguarding is one section that's not on the government checklists if you go to the gov.uk websites for maintained or academies, but it is a requirement. Um, and it's likely to be checked by Ofsted either before or during an inspection as part of their they're planning. They'll have a look at your safeguarding information and see if it's up to scratch. A new requirement from February of this year, February 2021, 
um, is that you must publish how you're going to provide remote education. And this is obviously a, a direct result of the, of the pandemic we've all been experiencing. So you need to explain what provision you have in place should the need arise for you to um, implement remote education procedures. Um, a third area is the coronavirus catch-up premium. Again, up to date and relevant for this year. So you've got to explain how it's how it's spent and what the impact has been. And then another area, fourth area that trips um, a lot of school websites up is the governor's or the trustee's information. Now, this is quite, there's a lot of information you've got to put on here. So you've got to um, explain how your committees are structured and who runs them, who the chair of governors is. You've got to name all your governors and you've got to have dates of when they were appointed and when they or when they stepped down, what their terms of office and what their remit is. Um, you've got to declare any financial or, or business interest they've got and whether they're governors at other educational institutions. You've got to publish their attendance records. Um, and th this obviously can become out of date quite quickly because if governors shift around a lot, um, mm. that's going to become out of date quite fast. And that doesn't matter if you're maintained and you have governors or you're an academy trust and you have members and trustees. The rules are the same um, for both types of school. So perhaps a good tip here would be to get your clerk to help you keep this information up to date and, and get them to feed you or whoever's updating your website with regular changes so that can be updated. What are the current requirements in relation to meeting minutes? Are they a requirement to publish or are they not? So meeting minutes are, are not currently a requirement on either of the checklists for maintained or academies. Um, I, so I guess that's kind of down to the school if they want to publish that information. Um, a good tip in general for website compliance might be if you're in doubt and you think it will be beneficial to your website and it's not confidential, why not publish it if it's if it's going to add something to the site? Yeah, so compliance can drive elements of the website, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't publish it. Like you say, if it adds something extra, then why not? Exactly. Now, you've mentioned this checklist. What does that entail apart from 24 sections? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's not my fault. That's the government. So, uh, yeah. We've, we've got to love the government. The acronyms and their compliance checklist, they are lengthy. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we, I mean, we've tried to simplify it. So we've produced a checklist. Yes, it's got 24 sections in it. Um, but but what we've tried to do is um, divide it into chunks that makes it clear what kind of school each requirement is for. So the general rule with the checklist is, unless it says otherwise, you need to publish it. We're not the only company that produce these checklists. There are lots of others, um, handy ones online. Um, but maybe a good idea to, is to use a checklist and give it to a couple of different people within your school so that they can both perform a check and then they can compare notes afterwards so, so and get the bottom of what might be missing. Um, and a good idea as you're going through the checklist is always to think about how easy is this information to find? Because if it took a long time to find, it probably needs to be moved somewhere a bit more accessible. Sometimes it's just nice to have a fresh pair of eyes, isn't it? Like say you can either give it to other members of staff and there may be different opinions about how easy it was to find things. Someone might say, yeah, I just assumed it would be there. And the other one would like, I have no idea why that would be there, you know? So it removes that that loss of perspective that we could have if we're looking at it all day. It would be easy for us to assume that everything we've done is straightforward. Yeah, and I, I think the good thing about this is, is really you don't need to know about the compliance side, really, because the checklist is there and it, it's clear what you need to have on the website. So it's just a case of, using a couple of different people to go off and try and find those things and, and give an honest, some honest feedback of what, what they found. For anyone listening who's panicking and thinking, what is this checklist? It's in the show notes. We have put this together for you. It's in the show notes. Jeff has put these 24 sections together to help you. So yeah, don't panic. It is there. We're not referring to something that you can't get hold of. 
So you've mentioned there getting a couple of people from the school to do this kind of piece of work and look at this checklist for SBLs or for the school and see what's compliant and what's not compliant. What happens if people are listening and thinking, that's great, but me and my team, we are snowed under, no one's got time to do this, but it is something that I'll just get round to. What would you say to them? Well, that's understandable. Um, if all else fails, um, they could always ask SBS to do it for them. So we, we do offer this as a service where we, we act as a second pair of eyes on your website and provide a, a nice report on what we find. I think it is important to get a fresh perspective, isn't it? You know, whether it's you guys or whether it is someone in the school, asking someone who isn't maybe as up to speed on what goes on the website and asking someone in a different department, you know, just have a look around. Is it easy for you? Would your would you, would your family, would your friends know where to find things on the website and look at it from, you know, an even more distant perspective, if you like? Yeah, I think it's important to be objective. So, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily ask the person that built the website to check because what's the point in that? So um, pick somebody who might not know where some of these sort of more obscure bits of information are um, and, and just find out if they're there and if they are, how difficult they are to find. I have found this really interesting and I think it scopes out for me quite visually. I'm a visual thinker if you like I can see pictures in my head and I can just see the website in the middle with all of these branches coming off it you know all the marketing side of things and creating the design and the navigation and making things easy and attractive and appealing but also you know the need to make sure that what is there is purposeful and succinct and meets all of the legislation requirements I think it's a really good episode and I know people listening will get so much value from it and if this is your job or if it's someone else's job if someone you line manage you know please share this with them you know you don't have to do this by yourself and please download the checklist in the show notes it's a great starting point thank you guys for sharing that with us thanks laura you're welcome thanks for having us wow we covered so much in that episode huge thanks to becky and jeff for sharing these tips as well as the sbs website compliance checklist that we spoke about at the end there it's totally free and you can download it directly from the show notes at www.ljbusinessofeducation.co.uk if you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device and you like what you've heard, it would be great if you could rate and review the show as it makes it easier for others to find it. Thank you so much to everyone who has left a review already. I read and really appreciate every single one. You can rate and review the show by selecting the show in the Apple podcast app, scrolling to the bottom and either tapping the stars to rate and or selecting write a review. This show is available in all of the podcast directories. Just make sure you hit the subscribe button in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. And if you're listening to the episode today and you're on social media, please tag me and let me know what you think. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you soon.